All right, Shabbos, say good morning. Let us begin. Begin by thanking our sponsors for this morning. Sure to thank our Tamutora sponsors, Paul and Kathy Pollock, for dedicating all of the Shi'urim and Drashos this month in honor of their grandchildren. May they be Zochemer Hashem to grow to become the best version of themselves. The Shi'urim this month are dedicated in the Shkos of Rafur Shalema for Yehuda Ben Michal. Our week of learning sponsors, Jeff and Karen Cohn, in commemoration of the yard site of Karen's mother, Clara Oxman. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, the Neshama will have an Aliyah and the family in Nechama. And we thank our Dafyomi sponsors for today, Gabi and Shana Kohn, in memory of Gabi's grandmother, Mrs. Clara Axman, Chaya Bas Chaim Leib Halevi, Zichron Levracha. Again, we hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, the Shem will have an Aliyah and the family in Nechama. With that, let us begin. We have a beautiful, beautiful daf ahead of us today. Today's daf is daf Mem, page 40. We are actually picking up Emir Hashem at the last two dots on Lamites Amid Base 39B, right at right at the yeah, right at two dots. Ones show Sebatita. So yesterday we began a really fascinating Mishnah where we began actually the last couple of Mishnahis have begun to contrast the halachos concerning Ones and Mefata, the one who goes ahead and violates a woman versus the one who goes ahead and seduces a woman. And we begin to go really gone through methodically the differences in these two different sets of halachas. So in the last statement of the previous Mishnah, the Mishnah said one of the fundamental distinctions was that in the case of mefata, in the case ultimately of the seducer, everyone involved has a right to refuse the marriage. Even again, the perpetrator himself, the man, has a right to say, I don't want to marry this woman. And again, certainly the woman has the right to say, I don't want to marry this man. And the father of the girl has the ability to object to the marriage as well. This stands in contradistinction to the case of Ones. In the case of the violator, when a man violates a woman, he has a biblical obligation to go ahead and marry her. And the truth is, if she wants to marry her father, the father of the girl wants her to marry, then the actual perpetrator himself has no right of refusal. This is what the Mishnah called Shoseb Ba'atzitzo. He drinks from his pot. In other words, that Lamaisa, Lamaisa, he committed the crime, and therefore Halacha Lamaisa, he is obligated to go to marry this woman, no matter what her particular circumstances. Says the Gimara. Amrali Rava, last line, last line, last line 39b. Amrali Rava, mi parzakya Ravashi. So Rava parzakya said Ravashi, Mikhti, Migmar Gamri Mehadadi. You know what I'll say? It's interesting, the Gemara says, we learn out a lot of the halachos of Ones and Mefate, one from the other. In fact, if you take a look at the last Rashi on the daf, Rashi says, Migmar Gmiri Mehadadi, Ones mi Mefate, Lishkalim. So for example, we learn out, we learn out the concept that Ones, the penalty payment of Ones, we learn it out from Mefate, that just like Mefate, you pay in Shkalim. Shkalim is like highest level currency. So too for Ones, you pay in Mefate. Or Mefate me Ones lechamishim. And we learn out that the same way you pay 50, 50 Shkalim. For Ones, you also pay for Mefate. So the point that Gemara is making over here is, we learn out a lot of these halachas, one from, one from the other. If that's the case, tap of Mem, Laha milsa nami ligmura mehadadi. Why don't you go ahead and learn out this particular thing, one from the other as well? Meaning what? That the same way that in the case of Ones, in the case of a man who violates a woman, the perpetrator is forced to go ahead and marry his victim. Why don't we say the same thing in the case of seduction as well? 
to which the Gemara says, Amr Kra, because the Pasuk says, Mahari Maharena Lo Liisha. Because they all say, interestingly enough, the Torah says, by the case of seduction, Mahari Maharena Lo Liisha. That ultimately, again, she will be to him as a wife, Lo Midaito. The word Lo ultimately means that what? With his consent. Okay, so essentially the Gemara answers, it's based on a Pasuk. Based on the Pasuk itself makes a fundamental distinction between Onesim and Fata, which is very interesting. Because what we begin to see is as follows. It's often, often, there's an association between these two halachas of Onesim and Fata. And what becomes clear as we go through this sugya is whereas there are certain similarities, right? But there are many more distinctions. The similarities really seem to be in the realm of the age of the woman impacted or the age of the woman who these halachas affect, and number two, the nature of the penalty payment. But in every other area, halacha they're fundamentally distinct. And herein lies one of the most fundamental distinctions, that by the case of mefata, the seducer, everyone involved, like I said before, has the right of refusal to this marriage, including the perpetrator. Whereas in ones, in the case of the man who violates the woman, Part of his punishment is that he is forced to marry her, assuming again that she and her father consent. Okay, credible. Kate's son, Shosabatzito. So we'll say, so remember again, the Mishnah then ended off in saying there is one exception to this rule. In other words, so the Mishnah said, in the case of the man who violates the woman, he drinks from the pot, right? Which means that whatever whatever the nature of this woman is, so the Gemara she's crippled, she's blind, she's covered with boils, whatever it is, Lamaisa, if he violated her, he's obligated to marry her. There's one exception to the rule. What's the one exception to the rule? If she is the kind of woman who is asura to him. For example, the example we gave me yesterday's daf was, Ruvain violates Rachel, and Rachel is a mamzeres. She's a mamzeres. So now, the marriage to her would be something that is biblically prohibited. So said that would be a case where although the Torah says that the man who violates the woman, the man, the perpetrator, must marry his victim, in a case where marriage is usher, he wouldn't be obligated to do so. So the Gemara says, You know, I sat over this ruling in front of Rav Zavid of Narda, and he asked the following, Wow. They will say, listen to this, Rav Zavid of Narda said, I don't understand. There's an assay and a losa assay. Right? For example, so right, the, the assay over here is, the assay is, Mahari Maharena Ultimately, again, the assay, well, the assay, that's by, that's by Ones. That's by Mephata. Right? By Ones, the Torah says, Halach he's obligated to marry her. Right? So we have an assay, we have an assay that the perpetrator is obligated to marry his victim. Now I have a losa assay. What's the losa assay? It's not allowed to marry a mom. I'm using mamzer as an example. You're not allowed to marry a mamzer. So in halach we have a principle of asi asevidochelosas. We have a concept like this that a positive commandment could come and set aside a prohibition. So, or I should say, not set aside, but um, what's the right word? Override. Thank you. Override. Override. So why don't you say the same thing over here? Let the positive commandment. Let the positive commandment of the perpetrator marrying his victim, go ahead and override the prohibition of marrying a mamzeres. So we'll say, this is incredible. Amrli, he responded to me, it's a good point, but it's a misuse of the concept. 
When do we say that in say When do we say that a positive commandment overrides a prohibition? That's kigon mila bitsaraas. say this is an incredible case. A paradigmatic case of says as follows. If a person has something on his skin, something on his body, that looks like tsaras, so there is an isr da'araisa to cut it off. Well, as well say, you might say like this. Imagine the following situation. You have something that shows up on your skin, a little white spot that might be tsaras. What's the halacha? What's the halacha? You have to go to the Kohen. So now it's, it's Monday. I have plans to go on vacation, so I don't have time to go to the coin, nor do I really want to start getting into sequestering and seclusion. So I have a great chap. I'll just cut it off. I'll just cut it off. Save me a little bit of time. So I'll say that is an isr da'araisa. There's isr da'araisa to cut off tsaras in order to avoid the process. So what about the following situation? Imagine an eight-day-old baby, on the birth of a son this past Shabbos, Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov, and he was here at Daf, by the way. Baby was born Friday night, he was here Shabbos afternoon. He also stayed for like three hours after Shir. I don't know, you know, it was, uh, right? Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov. So this is not Shaykh for your boy, but I'm saying like, so it's an interesting, interesting Mila Shaila. Let's say again, you have a baby boy, who has who has some type of discoloration, some type of, of potential saras on the foreskin, on the makomila, on the makomila. See, here's the problem. I want to give the baby a bris mila. I want to give the baby a bris mila. But now, lemaisa, in order to give the baby a bris mila, I have to remove the saras. So I have an asay, a positive commandment of bris, a losase, a prohibition of the removal of possible saras. So what do I do? So says, oh, that's asi asei losase. No, no, that's the case. That's the case where a positive commandment, a positive commandment, i.e. brismila, could come and override a prohibition of tsara'as removal. Why? Because Rabbi say, what is incredible. When do we say asi asei losase? When do we say that? When the only way to perform the positive commandment is through overriding the prohibition. That's when we say that the positive commandment comes and overrides the prohibition. But you can't say that over here. No, 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 remember, what's the shaila? The shaila is Ruven violated Rachel, Rachel Zamam Zeres. So why don't we say that the positive commandment for the perpetrator to marry the victim should override the prohibition to marry Amam Zeres? Why don't we say that in this case? To which the Gemara says, no, 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 in this case, if the girl, if Rachel were to say, I don't want to marry Ruvain at all, so what would be the halacha? There's no marriage. In other words, there was what the Gemara is saying over here is as follows. When we say, when do we say, that a positive commandment overrides, overrides the prohibition? When the only way to perform the positive commandment is through the overriding of the prohibition. So that's the case of, you have to give the baby a brismila. The only way to give the baby a brismila is to remove the potential tsara'as lesion. So that's when we say, over here, in this case, I will say, there is, there is a possibility that the assay never even comes to fruition. How so? By the girl saying, Rachel saying, I don't want to marry this guy. I don't want to marry this guy. So because the performance of the assay is not an inevitable fact, 
Therefore, we don't say, Asi ase vidocha lo sase. Or in other words, the only time we say that a positive commandment overrides a prohibition is when the fulfillment of the positive commandment is an unavoidable reality. Then the ase is docha the lo sase. But if halacha lamaisa, the performance of the ase is not an unavoidable reality, like in this case, where the girl, Rachel, could say, I don't want to marry this guy, then we don't say that the assay is docha the los assay. Incredible. I will say there's more to say about assay docha los assay from a Ashkafic perspective as well, but I'll, I'll save it for the end of the year. We'll get, we'll get first through the daf. Says the Mishnah. Yisomashinis, our seven is Gersha. So I will say another very interesting case. What about a Yisom? And I will say, we're going to, what the case sounds like and what the case is are going to be two different things. But let's at least go with what it sounds like. A Yisoma is an orphan, is an orphan. Shinis Arsa who had Arison, and then ultimately, again, was divorced. Was divorced. What's Talacha? Rabbi Lazar Omer, Ha'onis Chayiv Ma'mefateh Pater. Rabbi Lazar says that if a man violates her, he is Chayiv to pay the Knas, but if he seduces her, ultimately, again, he's Pater from the Knas. Take a look at Rashi for just a moment. Rashi says, Yisomashnitz Arsa Ben Iskarsha, Ha'onis Chayiv Ma'mefateh Pater, Kechayvan di Yisomahi, Potter, so I will say, just understand what's happening over here. Because she's a Yisoma, because she's a Yisoma, therefore, who gets to keep the Knas in these type of situations? The girl herself gets to keep the Knas. When there's no father, the Knas comes to the girl. We're going to see that more explicitly in tomorrow's daf as well. But the Knas comes to the girl. So I will say, this is actually very interesting. So in this case over here, if a man violates her, he's obligated to pay her the kinas. If he seduces her, ultimately he's not obligated to pay the kinas. Why? Because seduction comes with the consent of this girl. Her consent essentially means that she forgives the penalty payment. You see, when there's a father in the picture, see, even if the girl consented, the father did not, and therefore the father gets the penalty payment. But Allah Chalamais, again, when there's no father in the picture, if she was violated, then there's a penalty payment. But Allah if there was seduction, seduction comes with her consent and therefore no penalty payment. So Rabbi Lazar Omer, good, fine. Amr Rabbi, Amr says that, that's the Mishnah. Amr Rabbi Rabbi Amr Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Lazar, Bishitas Rabbi Akiva Rabbi Amra. Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Lazar, I will say this, by the way, the Rabbi Lazar being quoted over here is Rabbi Lazar ben Shamua. Ben Shamua, who was a Talmud of Rabbi Akiva. He was one of the, after Rabbi Akiva, we saw in Yavamas, after Rabbi Akiva lost all of his Talmudim, he went, he comes to the rabbis in the south of Eretz Yisrael and establishes five new Talmudim. Amongst those, one of those five is this Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Lazar Ben Shamua. There's a lot of Rabbi Lazar's in Shas, right? There's, there's also there's Rabbi Eliezer. So no, sometimes Rabbi Lazar can be Rabbi Lazar ben Aruch, who was a Talmud Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. And in this particular case, this is Rabbi Lazar ben Shamua, who was one of the five new Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva. So the rabbi comes along and says, Rabbi Rachana says, and then Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Lazar of the Mishnah, Beshitas Rabbi Akiva Rabbo Amra, is ultimately espousing the position of Rabbi Akiva, his Rebbe. What did Rabbi Akiva, his Rabbi, say? The Amar, Yesh lo kinas, u Because Rabbi Akiva holds that Allah Chalamaisa, a girl who does not have a father, she's still entitled to the kinas, and she gets to keep the kinas herself. Rabbi Akiva, take a look at Rashi for just a moment. Beshit, that's Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Amra. Darumas Nisin, Narosh Nis Arsa, Miniskarsha, 
Because Rabbi Kiv's of the opinion that once a girl has undergone erosin and has been divorced, so now she has personal autonomy, she's still entitled to the kinas, but the kinas no longer goes to her father, it goes to her. This is very interesting. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Lazar's position is predicated on his Rabbi's position, Rabbi Akiva's position. And what's Rabbi Akiva's position? That essentially, once a girl undergoes Erosin, right? Once she undergoes Erosin, she is removed from the domain of her father. Which means that if she undergoes Erosin and is now divorced, is now divorced, and is, let's say, violated. So the halacha now is she's entitled to a knas, but who gets to keep the knas? Who gets to keep the knas? The girl herself. So I will say this is fascinating because now what the Gemara essentially is saying is the Mishnah called this girl, we're going to keep calling her Rachel, called this girl Rachel a Yisoma. We understood, we understood, we defined what's a Yisoma? What's a Yisoma? An orphan. Orphan means what? No father. To which the Gemara is saying, by the way, that's not actually what orphan means. Orphic means she has a living father. Lachically, she's an orphan. Why? Because her father would not be entitled to any of these penalty payments. Why would her father not be entitled to the penalty payments? Because Rebbe Lazar is espousing the shita of his Rebbe, who holds that once a girl undergoes irusin, she is removed from the domain of her father. Father is no longer entitled to any of these penalty payments. She gets to keep them herself. And as such, we call her a Yisoma. We call her an orphan. But she's an, in other words, they're calling her an orphan because an orphan is descriptive of her halachic right. It's as if she has no father, but her father can be very much alive. So the Gemara says itself, Mimai, Mediktani Yisoma. Rabbi Lazar Omer HaOni Yischayif, Pater. So, because we said a Yisoma, we said a Yisoma, Rabbi Lazar said that ultimately, again, if a man violates her, he is obligated to pay the fine and she keeps the fine. But if he seduces her, ultimately, again, he's Pater. So the Gemara says, Yisoma, if she's an orphan, Pshita, Arsa The Mishnah is coming to teach us that a girl, a Nara, who has had Arisin and then gets divorced, is like an orphan, namely what? Nor namely how? My Yisoma liatzma, just like a Yisoma gets to keep the penalty payment herself. So too, a Nara who had Erosin and was then divorced also gets to keep her own penalty payments. So I will say, this is the Shita of Rabbi Akiva and now ultimately the Shita of his student Rabbi Lazar ben Shamua that once a Na'ara undergoes Erosin, now obviously they will say this is a case of where she had Erosin and got divorced, right? Remember why? Because if she still had Erosin and was violated by a man, then that's a case of adultery. So this is a case of where she had Erosin and she was divorced. Rabbi Akiva and now is Talmud Rabbi Lazar ben Shamua hold that in a situation like that, she has left the domain of her father and therefore Allah said any penalty payments accrue to her. Now I will say, that, that works both ways. So in a case of where she's violated, she'll keep the penalty payment. In a case of where she was seduced, what's going to be the halacha? No penalty payment. Why no penalty payment in that case? 
because again, it has her consent. So because it has her consent, therefore no penalty payment. Very interesting. So the Gemara goes weiter. Amrav Zira, Amrav Barav, Shila, Amrav Amuna, Saba, Amrav Adda, Barav, Amrav, Halacha, Kireba Lazar. The Halacha follows Rebbe Lazar. So the Gemara seems to say over here that Halacha Lamaisa, we follow this din of Rebbe Lazar, namely again, which is the sheet of Rabbi Akiva, that once a girl, once a Nara, undergoes Erosin, she is removed from the domain of her father. She goes ahead and keeps any type of penalty payments herself. And she is called a Yisoma, what we call a Yisoma Bechaye Aviha. She is considered to be an orphan with a living father. So the Gemara says, Kari, Kari Rav Aleid Rebelazar, Tovina Dechachimi. Ultimately, Rav said about Rebelazar, he is called Tovina Dechachimi. Ultimately, again, the, 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 the most fortunate of the Chachamim. I will say, look at Rashi, it's actually Tovina de Chachimi, Mu'ushar Shebe Chachamim. He is considered to be ultimately, again, one of the, uh, the most praiseworthy, or the most fortunate amongst the Chachamim. So I will say here, Rashi says, Rabbi Lazar, who? Rabbi Lazar ben Shamua, Vitamido de Rabbi Shalabi Akiva, Ekidarmina, Biyavamis, Pavali Vimto, Baya Olam Shamim, Achibar Rabbi Akiva, Esau Basin, Shabadaram, Vishamalahem, Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Osi, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Lazar ben Shamua. I will say, so it, it's interesting over here that it calls him Tovina de Chachimi, the most fortunate of the Chachamim. I will say, what's fascinating about this is Rabbi Lazar ben Shamua, is Rabbi Lazar ben Shamua going ahead and espousing anything new? Is he espousing anything new? Not at all. What is he doing? He's just simply relaying over, he's simply relaying over the teachings of his Rebbe. So Rabbi will say, it's interesting because yet the Gemara calls him Tovini de Chachimi, like the most fortunate of the Chachamim. So I think the Gemara is teaching us a fascinating idea, which is sometimes we would assume that like the greatest accomplishment, let's say the greatest rabbinic accomplishment is innovation. That's the greatest accomplishment, right? If you could come up with a chiddish, come up with an idea, and you see that sometimes the greatest accomplishment in life is just being another link in the chain. So you don't need to be an innovator. You don't need to come up with chidushin. The, the ability to simply pass down the beautiful Torah Kiddosha from one generation to the next. The same, imagine taking the same Torah of your Rebbe and just passing that down to your own Talmudim, to your own children. Sometimes that's the greatest accomplishment. Is there a place for innovation? Of course, of course. And is innovation, is chiddush important? Absolutely. But again, sometimes the ability just to take that which belonged to the previous generation and pass it down in its same form to the next generation, that is the hallmark of Judaic accomplishment. I will say, I'll point out, this is the midah of Yitzchak Avinu. If you look at Yitzchak, what did Yitzchak Avinu accomplish? Right? If you, if you open up Bereshis and you go through and you want to know, what did Yitzchak Avinu do? I know what Avram Avinu did. Avram Avinu was Lech Lecha, Ten Nisionos, Ten Tess. I understand Yaakov. Right? Yaakov had a crazy life. Crazy life. A whole episode. Esav, Lavan, Yosef. All crazy stuff. What did Yitzchak do? What did Yitzchak do? Let's say if you look at Yitzchak, the stories of Yitzchak Avinu's life are mirror images of Avram Avinu's life. Mirror images. Whatever, Yitzchak, Avram endured famine, Yitzchak endured famine. Avram dug wells, Yitzchak dug wells. There is absolutely no innovation 
in Yitzchak Avinu's life narrative. And says Rav Shamshon Rafael Hirsch, that's exactly the point. Yitzchak Avinu's entire, his entire life mission was to solidify the spiritual edifice built by his father. Yitzchak was not supposed to be an innovator. Yitzchak was not to be a mechadesh. Yitzchak was to be a solidifier. And Rav Hirsch says, innovators get a lot of attention. But he says, the world can't exist without solidifiers. And Avram Avinu was an innovator. Yaakov Avinu was an innovator. Innovators are great. But without solidifiers in the middle, innovators, what they build ultimately falls apart. So I will say, it's such an incredible yisod that at the end of the day, here you have Rabbi Lazar ben Shemua called the Tovina Dechachimi. What is he doing in this sugya? All he's doing is simply conveying that which his Rebbe said. So Rabbi will say, it's important for us to build and important for us to be mechadesh, but so much of success in our Yiddishkeit is taking what we've received from previous generations and handing it down in its same form to our children and future generations as well. Good to be an innovator, just as important to be a solidifier. Says the Mishnah, Ezu Boshes. So we'll say, remember again, one of the things we've seen is that Halach Halamaisa, in addition to the penalty payment, both by the Ones and the Mefate, is what? Is Halach Halamaisa a payment of Boshes? What's Boshes? Humiliation. Humiliation. So it says the Gimov, says the Mishnah, Ezu Boshes, what's Boshes? Now here's what's interesting. Boshes is a subjective payment. Subjective payment. Because Boshes depends on your station. On your station. So when it comes to when it comes to measuring Boshes, Boshes it depends on who is the perpetrator and who is the victim. Who is the victim? Someone who is very important has a heightened level of Boshes. Someone who is relatively unknown has a lower level of Boshes. Pigam, what's Pigam depreciation? Rowan Osakilihi Shifchat Nim Keres Bashok. We'll say, how do you measure, how do you measure depreciation? That's interesting. We see the, the girl who's the victim as if she was a maidservant being sold on the market. How much was she worth? In other words, we'll say if she would if she were to be sold as a maidservant, right? How much would a maidservant be sold before for what would her value be? Before being violated or after being violated? I'm going to say, and the Gemara is going to ask, I don't understand what, what, what being violated or not being violated has to do with being a shifcha. The Gemara will ask that, but Lamai said, that, I want to point out, it's not necessarily the pshat, we don't necessarily look at this girl, the victim herself, and say, if this girl, if Rachel, were to be sold as a maidservant. Rather, again, what we look at is in general, what we look at in general is, if a maidservant, how much would she be sold for prior to the incident versus after the incident? Knas, what about knas? Shavu b'chal adam. Well, say knas, what the mission is pointing out over here is, boshes and pegam are subjective payments. Knas, knas is a fixed amount. And I will say, that's what makes a knas a knas. A knas is a fixed amount, totally, totally independent of your personalistic, of your personalistic circumstances. Versus halacha lamaisa, versus versus mamon, or versus mamon, these are restitutional payments that depends on your personal circumstances. So the Gemara, we'll say any amount that's fixed, any amount that's fixed, 
applies to any person independent of their personal circumstances. Good. Let's go back there. Says the Gemara, Ve'emach ha'mishim slam amrachmona mikomili. We'll say, the Gemara asks an interesting question. How do you know that, so let, let's take the case of Onis, right? A man, Reuven violates Rachel. Torah tells us that what did Allah He asked the pair 50, 50 shkalim. How do I know that, why, or why don't they just say that maybe that 50 shekel payment is all inclusive? In other words, how do you know that there's pigam, that there's boshes? Maybe there's one payment and the 50 shekel payment includes everything. To which the Gemara says, Does that make sense? If, if, if Rachel Tami were to be royalty, and, and let's say, does it make sense that a girl of royalty and a girl of a regular family would get the same level of damages for an act of violation? In other words, it, it doesn't make sense. At the end of the day, the impact of the crime is felt differently on different people. So it can't be that there's just one payment. In other words, you could tell me that there's a knas, and the knas, the penalty payment, at the end of the day, could be the same for everyone, but there's got to be some other type of payments that reflect the different subjective circumstances. Well, if that's the case, there's another halacha. If I have a shar, I have an ox, right? My ox goes ahead as a shor mua. Let's say it's a shor that's already been worn. My ox gores Ruvain's eved, eved kenani, and kills Ruvain's eved. What's the halacha, Rabosai? There's a penalty payment. What do I have to pay? 30 shkalim. 30 shkalim. Why don't they say the following? Iyachi gabi eved nami, yomru eved nokev margoli o shloshim, eved osemase amabes. So let's analyze the following. So now there's 30 shekel that's paid for an ox goring an Eved. But let's say I have an Eved that is a skilled craftsman with dealing with jewels. And now let's say I have another Eved that just sews. So does it make sense that an Eved that is skilled with dealing with precious gems should be worth the same amount as an Eved that ultimately again just sews? Elamar Sigmar gives a more extreme example. Let's say a woman was violated by two different men, two different occasions. One bia kidarka, one bia shalokidarka. Does it make sense that the first and second men pay the same amounts? I can say the same thing by Eved. Does it make sense that a healthy Eved should get 30 shekel? When we say the healthy Eved, the Avadim are dead. Talk about the masters. That if the ox gores a healthy Eved, he gets 30 shekelim. And if he gores an unhealthy Eved, he still gets 30 shekelim. Allah Amr Abayi Amr Tachas Asher Ina. So we'll say, here we go. Abayi says, you're right. We'll say, rather, the Pasik says, the Pasik says, just to give you the Pasik in its entirety, V'nasan ha'ish ha'shokhe'id imal avi ana'ara, so the Pasik says, the Pasik says, the perpetrator will pay the father of the victim 50, right, 50 silver pieces. Because he has violated her. So the Gemara says, honey, the 50 silver pieces is a penalty that payment that is paid because he has violated her. Now, I will say, so what do you see from there? That that's a penalty payment associated with the act of violation. Michlal, 
by the fact, see, the Torah could have just said, he'll pay her 50 silver pieces. The fact that it says he'll pay her 50 silver pieces, tachas asher associates that payment with the violation. But it also tells you that what? There are other payments. There are other payments, right? Nakanas payments, there are other, there are other damages. See, I just want to point out something else. The penalty payment, I say, is what we call a knas. A knas is not damages. A knas is a penalty. So the Torah goes out of its way to say the 50 silver pieces, that is a penalty payment. But the fact that it identifies it as a penalty payment for the act of violating or tells us that what? There's still damages. There's still damages. Then I will say, what are damages? Boshes, humiliation is damages. Pegam, depreciation, that's damages. So therefore, I buy how I learns. If a Rav and Rav says, Amar Kra, Venasan Aish HaShochiv Ima La'aviya Nara Chamishim Kasef. The Basik says, Venasan Aish HaShochiv Ima. The man who slept with this girl, who violated this girl, will give the father 50 kasef, 50 silver pieces. Hanaas Shriva Nun. Literally, again, for, for the benefit that the perpetrator got from the act of relations, for that, he has to pay a penalty payment of 50 silver pieces. Ultimately, it tells us, so essentially, Abai and Rava are agreeing on the, on the principle. They're just learning it out from two different, from two different parts of the Pasuk. But ultimately, again, for the, for the benefits, so to speak, that the perpetrator got, that's 50 silver pieces. But that doesn't preclude damages as well. I says the Gimara, the Ema, Lidida. So maybe I will say, why don't we say the following? Maybe since the Torah says that the penalty, so I will say, so here's, here's what we've identified. We've identified is that there is a penalty payment of 50 silver pieces. That we've identified. But the fact that the Torah associates the penalty payment with the act of violation tells us that there are also other payments to be made in the form of damages. Which damages specifically? Which damages? Boshes and Pegam. Now remember again, there is a third, there is a third pocket of damages, right? What's the third pocket of damages? Tsar. Well, we remember again, we're not bringing up Tsar over here. Why? Because Tsar only applies in one of the two cases, right? Tsar only applies by the case of Ones, not by the case of Mafuta. That was yesterday's that. Okay. So the Gemara says, The Gemara asks an interesting question. Maybe, why don't we say like this? Maybe the penalty payment goes to the father, and who gets Bosha San Pagam? Who gets Bosha San Pagam? Maybe the girl herself should get Boshas and Pagam. Maybe that's also the distinction in like the payments over here. Father gets the Kinas. The fact that the father gets the Kinas, okay, that's explicit in the Pasuk. Maybe the girl should get the other damages, Boshas and Pagam. So the Gemara says, The Pasuk says, that's interesting. The Pasuk says, this Pasuk, by the way, is a totally different context. The Gemara is going to bring that up in just a moment. But the Pasuk says, which the Gemara Darshan to mean, which means literally, when she is a Na'ara, she is in the house of her father. Which the Gemara now understands to mean that when she is a Na'ara, her father gets all of her earnings, so to speak. Right? Whatever whatever she accrues, ultimately comes to her father. So the Gemara says, one second. And therefore, again, before going, therefore, even though there's Boshas and Pigam, the Boshas and Pagam will go to Rachel's father as well. How do you know 
that if the girl generates any type of income, any type of earnings, that it goes to her father. The Pasuk says, if a man will sell his daughter as a maidservant, just as a maidservant, her earnings go to her master. Ultimately, again, a daughter, her earnings also go to her father. I says, why do I need this trasha? Why don't you learn out from the previous trasha we just said? We just said, which teaches us that when she is a na'ra, she is fully in her father's, so her father has full rights. says, no, 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 because the phrase of is a different context. What is that referring to? is not talking about earnings or damages. What is it talking about? It's talking about annulment of vows. Annulment of vows. And when it means that when she is a nara, she is still in her father's home and her father has the right of annulment. So maybe you'll say, well, we should learn out the same way that a father has the right of annulment over his daughter's nidarim when she's an ara, so too he's entitled to any of her earnings or damages, to which the Gemara says, no, no, no. The ability for a father to annul his na'ara daughter, daughter's vows, that's a dinin iser. That's a dinin iser prohibition. We don't learn out mamon, monetary law, from iser. It's the same way that the father is entitled, ultimately again, to the knas of his daughter. He's also entitled to keep the damages, boshes and pegam, that she earns, to which the Gemara says, We don't learn that moment from knas either. This is fascinating. Radhi Gemara says, How do you know that the father is entitled to her boshes and pegam. I will say this is this is fascinating. So how do you know? So I will say so here, here's let, let's go with what I do know. Here's what I know: Is it halacha when Ruvain violates Rachel? So I will say there's there's a, there's a number of different payments, right? Payment number one is what? Payment number one, knas, knas. And by the way, now we also begin to fill in like a lot of the blanks as well. There's knas. Remember again in the case of ones, knas is paid immediately. We saw yesterday's daf. Kinas is paid immediately, and Kinas is paid to who? Paid to who? Paid to the father. How do I know that? Pasuk. Right? That's easy. That's just a straight out Pasuk. Okay. Now what we're also introduced to is, in addition to Kinas, there's also other payments. What are the other payments? What are the other payments? Again, we've got Boshes, humiliation, Pigam, depreciation, and of course, by the case of Ones, we also have what? Tsar. Tsar. What we're trying to figure out about Sai is what? Who gets those payments? Who gets those payments? So I will say, so, which, so now we, we've unsuccessfully tried to go ahead and, and, and figure out where ultimately who gets those payments. Which the Gemara says, I'll tell you. The father gets the payments. And how do I know the father gets the payments? Listen to this fascinating idea. Because I will say, father has the right to go ahead and marry off his daughter until she becomes a Bogaras, right? And if he wanted to, he can marry her off to who? to whoever he wants, to a manoval, to a mokashchin, which literally means he can marry her off to like the most disgusting, despicable guy, either physically repulsive or anything, which tells you what. Now imagine, right, Rachel's father were to marry her, her off to a mokashchin, a guy covered in boils. So what would that do to her? That would be terribly embarrassing. 
terribly embarrassing. So I will say, so what do you see from Yet the father still has the ability to do so, which means the father controls his daughter's bojes, and he controls her pegam. So the ability to marry her off to whoever he chooses indicates that he controls these aspects of her life. So the same way that he controls ultimately who he can marry off to, therefore, again, he's also entitled to the boshes and pegam payments as well. So therefore, Rabbi said, turns out that in these cases, the father is not only entitled to the kenas, right, the penalty payment, he's also entitled to keep damages. Now, Rabbi said, we did see the one exception to this rule would be if the girl had erisin and was then divorced, according to Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Lazar ben Shemua, that would remove her from her domain, from his domain. But assuming that's not the situation right now, Halach it turns out the father is getting all of the payments, both the penalty as well as damages. Next, Pegam Ronos, So remember again, depreciation. How do you go ahead and gauge depreciation? We view her as if we look at a Shifcha. Difference between a Shifcha, who's a Basula, Versus the shifcha is not a basula, to which the Gemara says, "Hey, shaymin Allah." How do we evaluate this? I'm Rabbi Shmuel Omdin. Kama Adam wrote, "Litein ben shifcha basula, the shifcha beula the shamsho." How much would a person pay? What would be the price difference between purchasing a shifcha who's a basula versus a shifcha who's not a basula in order to serve him in his home? To which the Gemara says, "Shifcha beula the shamsho, my nafkalamine." They will say, who cares if, in order, if I'm purchasing a shifcha to go ahead and, and be part of my domestic help? I don't say, what, what does it matter if she's a basula or she's a baula? How does that, how does that impact her ability to work in the house? Ella, here's the difference. They'll say, here's the difference. Remember again, if I purchase a shifcha, remember again, I have the ability to give her to my eved, to give her to my eved. It's not necessarily, it's not quote-unquote as a wife. I mean, it, it could be for marriage, but it's not a bona fide marriage. So the Gemara says, La'avdo my nafkalamina. So to my Evid, what can it matter? So I guess it would be in the times of old that if the master had an Evid who he had a particular affinity to, it was more chashuv to give that Evid a shifcha who was a basula as a wife versus a shifcha who was a ba'ula as a wife. So therefore, again, a purchase, a person would pay a premium, so to speak, for a shifcha who was a basula, not because a shifcha who is a basula provides better domestic help, but because a shifcha who is a basula could ultimately, again, be a more suitable spouse for an eved, for my eved. So the difference in value that a person would pay for a shifcha who's a basula versus a shifcha who's a ba'ula Ultimately, again, that would be the that would be the difference. That would be pegam. That would be depreciation. Okay, says the Mishnah. Says the Mishnah. Call makom shiyish mechar in kenas. The makom shiyish kenas in mechar. Because we we actually had this Mishnah beforehand. We've actually seen this before, but we'll just mention it now here as well. Any place where I would say any situation where the father has the right to sell his daughter, there is no kenas. In any situation where the father has the ability to go, oh, I'm sorry, where there is kinas, where there is a penalty payment, father doesn't have the ability to go ahead and sell his daughter. Ultimately, again, if he has the ability to sell it, there's no kinas. Sorry, so now the Mishnah illustrates this. For example, a kitana. A kitana, 
a father has the right to sell his daughter who is a ketana, right? He could sell her as a shifa, he could sell her as a maidservant. So when she could be sold, ultimately, again, there is no kinas payment. Nara, on the flip side, a nara, yesh la kinas ve'en la mecher. Ultimately, a nara, she has a kinas, but there is no mecher, there is no sale. Can't sell a nara. Vabogeres, but a girl is a bogeres, ain't la lo mecher ve'lo kinas. Ultimately, once a girl is a bogeres, She's a full-fledged adult, and therefore, again, there's no mecher and there's no kinas. Rabbi Osai, we, we actually saw this opinion. We saw this, this opinion of Rabbi Meir. We saw this opinion before that Rabbi Meir holds that Allah Chalamaisa, a father could sell his daughter through, when she's a katana. But when she's a katana, there is no din of kinas. Once she becomes a nara, ultimately, again, he can no longer sell her, and that is where there is a din of kinas. Says the Gemara, Amrav Yudamra, Amrav Zudiv Rabbi Meir. These are the words of Rabbi Meir. The Chama, on the other hand, told that there is the ability to go ahead and collect knas even when a father could go ahead and sell his daughter. So I will say, I'm going to stop here. I'm going to stop here for a day because I want to go back just to spend the last few moments on, on just the ha'ara that we had something before. But again, we're leaving off with this fundamental machlokis on the timeline between mecher and knas, and we'll see the resolution of this machlokis tomorrow. We'll say, we saw, we saw in the beginning of today's sugya, the notion of asi ase vidoche Right, so the Gemara wanted to know, why don't we say halacha lemaisa, let us say doche and so even if a man goes ahead and violates a woman who he's not permitted to marry, let the ase, the biblical obligation of the violator marrying the marrying his victim, be doche the ase of, let's say in this case, of the girl being marrying a mamzeras. And the Gemara gave its answer, the Gemara gave its answer ultimately again, how about why that doesn't work. So I was very intrigued by the notion, a positive commandment could go ahead and set aside a prohibition. So there's much profundity to that concept, not just halachically, but ashkafically as well. What does mean? On a basic hashkafic level, what it teaches us is that dynamic activity is so much more important than inaction. An assay, an assay, being a person who engages in dynamic activity, being a person who does, is the ikr so much more important than ultimately being a passive individual. But here's the problem with asay dochalos asay. And here's what's just intriguing about this idea, which is, which is that halacha lamaisa, we have a concept of sur meirah v'asetov. Right? So David HaMelech writes in Telum which means to go ahead and avoid that which is negative in order that you can go ahead and do that which is positive. And the truth is this becomes a model in spiritual growth. Often we gravitate to the Asetov rather than the Surmeira, right? Because think about it, it's so much easier to take on new things, so much easier to do more things than it is to go ahead and fix that which is broken. But David HaMelech says, here's the problem. If I don't address that which is broken, then you could do all the positive things in the world, but you don't really get traction. It's what Chazal call Tovel V'Sharetz Biyado. Person immerses in the mikvah, but they're holding the sharetz, holding the dead rodent. Some going into the mikvah up and down, up and down, up and down. Incredible, incredible. There's only one problem. I'm still tummy. So when I have something that's broken inside of me, but I don't fix it, but I just, I do a lot of great positive things. So I'm in the mikvah. The mikvah represents positivity. 
but I'm holding on to the thing that's broken, I can't get any life traction. So I will say, here's the shayla. How do these two things stim with each other? Because on one hand, I have, which sounds like life is about positive dynamic activity, but yet I have, so we'll say, so which one is it? Do I have to fix that which is broken before I engage in dynamic activity? Or can I engage in dynamic activity and ultimately go ahead and what? Then push away the bad. And I will say the answer is, they're both correct. It's two different models of spiritual growth. There are times in life where David Amalek's words are what I need. I have to find the courage to identify what's broken inside of me. What's broken? What's misfiring? What's in a state of disrepair? Fix that first. Deal with that first. And then, once I go ahead and let go of my sherets, then I say tov. Then I say tov. But I will say, there are times in life where it's too difficult for me to deal with that which is broken inside of me. There are just times in life, and this happens all the time. Sometimes it's too painful. Sometimes I don't have just, I don't have the strength to deal with that which is broken yet. So what do I do in those situations? I see, I say, I will say in that case, so bolster yourself with dynamic, positive energy. Do good things. And what will that do? That'll help you vidachi lo That'll help you to rid yourself of the stuff that is broken. Sometimes, sometimes I'm not ready to tackle my broken kite. Sometimes I'm not ready to tackle the things that are just not good inside. I just can't, I can't deal with it now. Okay? Asiyase, bolster yourself with dynamic positive things and that will help you to be doha your losase. That'll help you to go out and push aside and rid yourself of the things that are negative and broken inside of you. Two different models for personalistic, comprehensive, cathartic change. The ideal, which is surmeravia seitov, tackle that which is broken, and then move on to bolster your positivity. But sometimes when that model is not possible, say, do good things, take on new things, push yourself forward, and that'll give you the koach to be docha, your personalistic losasin. We'll stop here. We'll finish up the old sugi and begin the new sugi tomorrow. Shkoyach.